Well, good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast for Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, July 2nd, 2022. It's been another great week of shows with great contributors and great topics. We kicked off the week with a look at the four phases of retirement. Let's take a look. Most of the emphasis uh, on retirement planning revolves around investments and estate plans and uh, uh, insurance considerations. And uh, what's overlooked is the, the fact that there are significant psychological changes and challenges that come with retirement. And frankly, nobody has thought about that very much. More specifically, it, it applies to, to people who are beginning to think about retirement. Uh, and what I've tried to do in my TED Talk and, and, uh, and in my book is to give those people kind of a heads up as to what they can expect. And then for those folks who are retired, and of course there are 10,000 North Americans retiring every day today and every day for the next 10 to 15 years. This is a retirement tsunami. And again, most of those folks may have put a lot of time and effort into the financial side, but they're in many cases just sideswiped by the psychological changes and challenges that nobody frankly expects. In that first phase, which I call the vacation phase, you, um, you expect it to be like most people uh, see as an ideal retirement. It's uh, no set routine. You've been you've been governed by a routine forever. It seems you now you've got no routine. You can get up when you want, go to bed when you want. It often involves checking things off the bucket list that you didn't have time or the resources perhaps to deal with during your working career. It's the, the idea of fun in the sun, of vacations, of a, a new sports car, working on your golf game, working on your pickleball game. Maybe you buy a place uh, in, in a warmer climate. That's the view that most people have of an ideal retirement. And the truth is it lasts for probably a couple of years. And then, believe it or not, we miss our routine, we get bored, and we say to ourselves, is that all there is to retirement? Back in 1950 in North America, average life expectancy was about 68 years. So people could kind of daughter over to their rocking chair and spend the last three years. Now, as you say, with changes in life expectancy, it's quite likely, quite possible that many people who might be listening or watching uh, today will live up to one third of their lives in retirement. What a, what a massive change that is. And, and so you have to have plans for that one third of your life. You can't, it can't be all about golf every day. It just cannot be. It's got, there's something more to it than that. And that's what a lot of people struggle to find. What I've discovered, Jeffrey, is that the, the next phase is what I call the, 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 the phase where we feel loss and we feel lost. There are five significant losses that most retirees feel in phase two. Uh, there's a loss of routine, which uh, for a while that was okay. But there's something in our in our genes, I think, that 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 forces us, that, that makes us need a routine of some sort. So when we miss that routine, we kind of feel at loose ends. Uh, we lose our identity because many people identify with their jobs. And even after they retire, they refer to themselves as what they used to be. 
mm-hmm. whether it was a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, accountant, doesn't matter. But we often carry that identity with us. And when it's gone, that's a significant loss. The third loss is that we, 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 we suffer the loss of many of the relationships that we had developed during our working career. And while we may retain a few of those, it, it tends to be a pretty significant loss. Uh, the fourth loss is that many of us lose a sense of purpose. Because again, in many cases, we, we get a sense of purpose from our jobs. And when it's gone, whether through our choice or worse still through somebody else's choice, there's a significant void there. And fifth, many people acquire over a working career some sort of a sense of power, perhaps, whether it be over personnel or a budget. And all of a sudden, that's gone too. And so we can go from something that we thought was, you know, we were pretty good and pretty significant. And all of a sudden, we're just kind of another guy or, or a gal on the street. Now, to make it even worse in phase two, we often kind of run up against the three Ds as well. Uh, the, the Mayo Clinic reported that there is a 40% likelihood that people will exhibit some aspects of clinical depression during retirement. There is also a spike in divorce rates during this period of our lives. I don't know whether it's directly connected with retirement or whether it's an age kind of thing. And then of course, there's the the physical and mental decline that we begin to see as well. So phase two, with all of these things coming at us, we didn't see them coming. We, We didn't anticipate these losses. We lose them all at once. And it can feel like we've been kind of boom, kind of hit by a bus. And it is very traumatic for many, many, many people. You know, we've all been focused on the kind of measurable sorts of things, both, I think, American society and Canadian society. We, we kind of focus on things that are measurable. We, we, we like that kind of thing. Uh, and it's only, I think, really in the last couple of years that with the pandemic, as, as you've noted, there's been a much greater recognition of the fact that there are these psychological changes, challenges that that we're facing. And I think it's kind of given new life to the application of those challenges as part of retirement as well. Next up, we discussed how to give the elderly a better quality of life. Let's take a look. I was lucky enough to have three of my great grandmothers babysit for me and my siblings when I was a little kid. And uh, but the, probably the most uh, influential person was a woman named Lucille Curtis, who I serendipitously landed uh, in her yard, literally as a, as a college student. I started uh, doing yard work for us, and she was 85 years old. I got to know her well. Turns out she was the first woman ever to work in the Foreign Service. She um, was just incredibly intelligent, well-traveled. She had rode the rails for women's suffrage back in before women had the right to vote. Uh, and, and she really pushed me to kind of go to school and you know go, go on to med school and to learn a foreign language and all these great things. But unfortunately I watched her decline over the years between 85 and 89, functionally, cognitively. And that really influenced me to think about you know, how I could make a difference in my medical career to help people maintain their health and fitness and, and brain function. Um, as they age. So I think just that got me into the field. So our approach is really to look at the underlying aging biology. We know that many of these conditions evolve as people age and there are all sorts of joint and muscle and uh, tissue specific changes that are happening. Uh, For the longest 
time, we haven't been able to pinpoint them to basic aging biological changes. And I think our work and the work of many other groups around the country are sort of crystallizing around this, this concept of, of deep biologic understanding and targeting specific biologic changes that will slow the progression towards things like you're talking about pain uh, that develops from some from joint changes, senescent cells and joints or things like that. Uh, so again, our approach is to, to tackle the underlying etiologies of these issues, not just to kind of treat them at the at the end stage, but to really get in and, and slow that that aging process that phase of life that usually happens after retirement, sort of somewhere in the 70s, usually people start having functional and cognitive decline. And they that that's the phase we call it the health span. We want to increase the health span where people are functional, cognitively intact, able to do lots of things, not spend all their time in medical clinics and hospitals. We want to push that out as far as possible in life. So instead of becoming disabled at 75 or 78, we'd love to be able to push that out to 85 or 88, you know, shortly before people die. Um, as part of that, probably there will be a little bit of longevity gain. People will live a bit longer and healthier. So that, that would be a side effect of what we're trying to do. Uh, but really we're trying to move the health span. Aging itself, those basic fundamental processes have not have not changed. They're, they're kind of built into the, the wiring of how uh, how organisms are made, right? They're happening. There are things that we can do to either accelerate them or slow them down. So I think, you know, physical, physical exercise, healthy diets, um, you know, good social interactions, all are things that we know improve that underlying biology and help people live longer, healthier lives. There are lots of environmental things like social isolation, smoking, lack of exercise, poor diet, obesity, that can really accelerate all of those aging related biological changes. So I think some of the things are in our control. Um, and so based in answer to your question, aging itself hasn't changed, but those, those variables and how they impact aging, I think we, we have a much better understanding of those and can intervene on some of that now. Well, we're halfway through. We come back the other half of our best segments of the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 
33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score, a credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repaired for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report, so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. This week, we also discussed PTSD and a new clinical trial of using psychedelics to treat our nation's veterans. Let's take a look. Um, but about 15% of veterans who have served currently have PTSD and about 30% have had it at some point in their lives. PTSD and in fact, all mental conditions really are a family affair. They profoundly affect anybody who has to live with somebody who has a mental health problem or who's suffering from it. And it's very interesting because a lot of people who suffer from mental health symptoms and particularly PTSD, they don't wanna burden their families. And so they kind of don't talk about what's going on with them thinking that they're sparing their family. Um, but oftentimes this avoidance of going inside yourself um, can sometimes also be a problem because everybody senses that your mind is somewhere else and that you're not fully engaged with what's happening in the here and now. PTSD requires um, kind of an approach where a lot of things have to happen. The, the fundamental idea is to revisit the trauma and process the traumatic memory. And for people that have PTSD, PTSD is fundamentally about the fact that you don't have control over the memory. And when you have memories of trauma, they often come with a physiological fight or flight response. Um, and just a rush of feelings brings back the shame and the guilt and, and the helplessness that was experienced at the time of the trauma. So going back and kind of revisiting what happened and maybe getting a different narrative arc to the story, such as that you're not responsible for what happened or you did the best that you could. Uh, people really sit with a lot of guilt over, um, over a lot of aspects of what happened in the military is very important. But sometimes the symptoms um, also can be aided with medicine. Um, people are not sleeping well, or if they're very hyper alert, 
um, oftentimes a doctor will prescribe an antidepressant medicine, but it's very difficult to treat this condition because um, talking about traumatic memories is not as simple as you might think. And this idea and the, the general reaction of people when they engage in that process is, this is gonna make me feel a lot worse. I don't wanna go there. I wanna just forget about what happened. And often medicine is used in order to numb um, very raw feelings and help people really to sometimes avoid uh, the traumatic memory. So a lot of patients get into this loop where they don't really wanna talk about the trauma in a real way because it's very distressing. Um, but they also don't necessarily wanna keep taking antidepressants for the rest of their lives, even though many times the antidepressants do help numb the symptoms. When we talk about psychedelics, we're talking about drugs that are really mind manifesting. That's literally what psychedelics means. And what that means is that you experience a, a change in your normal state of consciousness. Now, historically, we have defined psychedelic drugs in terms of properties that I think are pretty scary, like the um, hallucinogens, they're sometimes called. Um, and that really refers to the fact that you can have perceptual distortions on some psychedelic drugs, but they're more things like um, experiencing colors more vividly or hearing sounds more acutely. Um, the difference between having a hallucination in a mental health context and experiencing a kind of um, sensory uh, difference on a psychedelic is that you're totally aware um, in the latter case that you're seeing something because of the influence of a medicine. When people hallucinate in the context of a psychotic disorder, um, they don't necessarily know that this isn't reality. So taking a psychedelic drug does afford you the opportunity to have a perception or an experience that you might not otherwise have. Um, often you look at things and see a lot of beauty in them. For example, you feel like you're a part of nature or you have a revelation which is called a noetic experience, this idea of going beyond your usual insight to understanding some sort of truth. And some people have a mystical or a religious experience where you um, kind of know that there's more than just what is here in the here and now. So these are some of the properties that psychedelic drugs can have, but psychedelic drugs really vary quite considerably from each other. So, so I would give a different answer knowing, um, I would give a different answer based on the specific drug. Basically what motivated us to begin doing a clinical trial was that the FDA declared MDMA assisted psychotherapy um, to have breakthrough designation, which means that the FDA considered the prior trials that had occurred in um, phase two FDA trials to, be, to have results that were superior to the current treatments that are being used for PTSD. And since we care very much about delivering the highest standard of care to veterans, um, and we've been committed to the study of PTSD for more than three decades here at the Bronx VA, uh, we didn't see how we couldn't study the efficacy of these medicines for PTSD.
And finally, small differences in mutual fund fees can have a significant impact on Americans' retirement savings. Let's take a look. Well, fees matter. Uh, even seemingly small fees matter because with retirement savers, they're holding their assets for a long period of time, you know, decades uh, in many cases. And those seemingly small fees can really uh, take a bite out of those savings. They can erode savings over time. So it really does make a difference. So we have focused a lot of our research on accumulating assets, uh, trying to gain assets, gain access to retirement plans and, and things of that nature. Uh, but it's also about preserving assets. So holding on to what you've saved. Um, a lot of Americans are not saving a lot, even when they have access and when they're participating. So, you know, really trying to hold on to every dollar that they have. We know that expenses in retirement can be very high. Healthcare expenses, are, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. So even, you know, losing 10, 20, $30,000 to fees uh, can really have a big impact on people's uh, financial security in old age. To make it even more complicated, you know, even within one mutual fund, there can be several different kinds of share classes. And they, they often have a letter attached to them, like A or C or R. Uh, what we did in our research was, as you suggested, um, sort of group them together into institutional, where you know, institutions like retirement plans, state pension funds, and the like, you know, that have uh, buying power, you know, they bring scale, uh, they can purchase um, at the institutional level or the institutional share class level uh, and get lower fees um, because they're, they're bringing scale. You know, other share classes are, we group together into the retail share where those are really designed for the individual investor, whether that's a retirement saver or someone off the street just saving uh, in a mutual fund, they typically will pay higher fees because you know it is a retail environment. The fund families are marketing these funds. Sometimes they're offering more services to individual investors uh, and they have a lower minimum. So, you know, there's a bit of a trade-off there. Uh, they're gonna, you're gonna pay higher individual, um, but because you have, if you're a, a, a retirement plan, you know, you'll have the ability to negotiate lower fees. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. And so that is our basic comparison is that institutional share class in a mutual fund versus a retail share class all within the same uh, mutual fund. A plan fiduciary can employ consultants to help them select the investments in a retirement plan. You know, we have a, a 401k committee here at Pew um, and we em employ outside uh, experts to help us select the mutual funds and review the mutual funds and other investments within our 401k plan. That's very common if you're a plan fiduciary. Um, we have found in our own research that the individual participant uh, isn't often aware that there's a fee disclosure. Even if they read the fee disclosure, a uh, large number of them don't understand it. It's not written for the typical lay person uh, to understand what the impact of fees might be on their retirement savings. So there is a bit of an asymmetry in terms of the information uh, from the, the investment uh, company and the individual uh, investor. You know, I would even say that even for very small plan uh, sponsors and small business owners, um, even they find it difficult to understand the fee disclosures, even when they have access to some experts helping them. So it is a bit of a, an information problem. In the brief uh, that we published on this, we looked at the median differences. So what's the median institutional uh, uh, fee? What's the median retail fee? 
for those three classes of mutual funds. And we, we disaggregated it even further. We looked at different kinds of mutual funds like domestic equities, international uh, equities, uh, different kinds of bond funds. But for, to make it easy to understand, we sort of made these large groupings of equities, fixed income, and hybrid uh, funds. And so when we look at the differences between institutional retail uh, fees, you're looking at, for equities, it's 34 basis points uh, higher for the retail shares in the equities. It's 19 basis points higher uh, when you're looking at the hybrid funds, and it's 31 basis points higher when you're looking at the fixed income uh, funds. So, you know, a you know, seemingly small difference, um, but a significant difference nonetheless. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest security news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by members of the media, academia, and financial services as we analyze all the news and events for the week. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Are you being audited and do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The Tax Doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The Tax Doctor will work with you using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a Tax Doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-224-6439.